I quite like trying new things. And a number of years ago, we went to a Afghani restaurant. Never been before. Never been since, mind you. But uh, it was good. And uh, it was full of new things. The only problem was when they came, we, we went as quite a big group, that they, uh, they brought us the menu in Afghani, which was a little bit difficult because I looked at it and I went, I have no idea what to order. And so we passed it around amongst ourselves and we, we, uh, we all looked a little bit perplexed. And the, uh, the owner of the, uh, the, the restaurant came up to us and he said, um, I'll do you a deal. And we went, this, this sounded good. He said, I'll, I'll get you like 80% of everything that's on the menu for like £20 a head. And we went, done. Handed back the uh, menus because we had no idea what we were going to order. So they started bringing the food in and uh, we said, this is good. And it was delicious. And we started and we started eating. And, uh, and pretty soon the, the plates were getting a little bit de- depleted. And then they just kept bringing more. And we thought, this is a fantastic restaurant. Look at this. And so they brought more and more. And every time we nearly finished the, the salad or finished the rice or finished the meats, they just kept on bringing more and more and more. And being, you know, not wanting to embarrass anybody, I just kept eating and eating and eating and thinking, this is going to, it's got to finish sometime, isn't it? Well, then they carried on. And then finally, we were all just absolutely stuffed. I mean, my belly ached. And the, the owner came up and he said, so did you enjoy your starters? Are you ready for the main? And we went like, what do you mean, the main? He said, well, that was just the starter. We got the main course now. And so he then brought all these other dishes in. And we were just like, oh, when we got up at the end of that meal, there wasn't one of us that wasn't like in agony. I've never eaten so much food in all my life. But I didn't want to leave in it. It was wonderful. But sometimes in church, we're a little bit like that. Sometimes we spend all our energy on the starters. And we never actually get to the core, the main course of what we're doing. We, we spend all our time thinking about starter stuff instead of the real core, the real depth of why we're here. When we produced the vision paper last year, and the, the implementation paper, one of the things that we felt God was saying to us was that we had certain core values about ourselves and about this church that we need to make sure stay central in our lives and the life of God's church here at Trinity. And I want to start thinking about what those real core values are. What is it after we've done with the starters and we're on to the, onto the main course, we're on to the real the heart of it all. What is it? What is the core of who we are? What is it that characterizes us as individuals and us as a church of Jesus Christ? And we're going to look at the first of those today. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians chapter 1. Because here I believe it's the first core value of what it says we need to be like, what this church needs to be like, God's church here at Trinity. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Let's pray before we read. Lord, as we come to you again and open your word today, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. You've promised your Holy Spirit to help us to understand 
but not just to understand in our minds, but in our hearts, in the whole of our lives. We ask that you would come upon us, speak to us, infuse within us, take root within us, in the depths of who we are, the message of your gospel, the message that you want to give to us today. Lord, we thank you. We are here, we are open to receive from you. So speak to us through your word, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. God's word says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. This is Christ. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." The thing I want to pick up today, the first value, the first core as believers today, it's found there in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, it says that Christ is the head of man. So it's not just his church that it's talking about, it's us as well as individuals. Christ is the head. Now what does that mean? mean? What does that really look like for us? Christ is the head of his church. Christ is the head of you and me. How many of you have ever gone through passport control? You done that? It's always nerve-wracking, isn't it? Because your passport photo looks nothing like you, does it? One, you have to be miserable when it's taken. I don't know what this thing is, you're not allowed to smile on your passport photo. So everybody's passport photo looks just, it looks like you've just like had a really bad day. And then when you get there and you hand it in, that guy is looking really, you know, he looks like he's had a bad day as well, doesn't it? And he's sitting there and you try and pick the one that doesn't look quite so moody. But they're sitting there and then they look at the picture and they look at you and they look at the picture and they look at you like this. And you're thinking, well, it is me. It's got to be me. And you're thinking, like, why, why does he keep looking at the picture and looking at me? But, like, we, we recognize one another, don't we, through what we look like, through our heads. You don't, when you have your passport picture, take your whole body, do you? They only want your head bit. Why? Because that's how they can recognize who you are. I used to have a big, long beard at one point. And then I shaved it off and I thought, I'm I'm never going to be allowed to get into any country in my life again until I change my photo because I look like completely different. But we recognize people by their faces, by what they look like. And here it says Christ is our head. He is the top bit of us. He is the bit that you recognize. Jesus said in John 14, 9 to his disciples, they said, Show me what God is like. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to look at who God is, look at the Father. Just look at me because I am, it says here in verse 15, 
the image of the invisible God. So Christ is, it says right at the outset, he is the head, the vision, the image, what God looks like in human form is seen through Jesus Christ. He says, you want to know what God looks like? Just look at Jesus and you will see. Now that should be true, not only of Jesus representing God, which it is, but it should be true of you and me too. People should be able to look at us and say, you want to know what Jesus is like? Just look at Brian. You see Brian, you see Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Just look at Polita. You see Polita, you see Jesus. Now that's where, when you say that, like, it's fine saying Brian and Polita, isn't it? But we're all going, don't choose me. Whatever you do, David, don't choose me. You want to see what Jesus is like? Look in my life and you'll see Jesus. Now that's where we start getting a bit, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. I can accept you have to look at God through Jesus. Yeah, I get that bit. But look at me and you see the image of Jesus. You see the character of Jesus through me. Really? Well, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? He says we're ambassadors for Christ. Paul says over and over again, you want to know what to do? Follow my example. Now, he's not being arrogant there. He's saying we, all of us, are Christ's representatives. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. We are the voice piece of Jesus Christ. We are the channel through which God's Spirit flows in our world around us. Jesus said, I'm going to go away to the Father and I'm going to send my Spirit who's going to come upon you, which started at Pentecost, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. You are going to be the people that God, or that so others look at and see Jesus Christ, see the Father, see the Spirit, because He's going to be working in you and through you. I read an article in a, that was posted in a magazine, or in a newspaper rather, the other day. It says this. It said, when I say that I am a Christian, it was titled, I am a Christian. It said, when I say I am a Christian, I'm not shouting out that I am clean living. I'm whispering I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. When I say I am a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I am weak and I need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I've failed and I need God to clean my mess. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible. But God believes I am worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who receives God's good grace somehow. You know, when we say that we are believers, when we stand up and we say, yes, Christ, I am going to be the visible of you. I am your representative. We're not saying that I am perfect. 
What we're saying is that I am going to demonstrate to the people around me what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am going to show grace to others. That God has taken me, that God loves me, even though I mess up, even though I am frail, even though I I can't seem to do the things that God wants me to do all the time. But I'm going to say to others, you know what? God loves me. God has forgiven me. God is still working in my life, and I am a guy that's in transition. I am someone that God has taken, and God is molding and making more like Jesus Christ. But I pray within that molding and that making that people will see what God is doing in my life. And that he will see that transformation. And others will see that transformation that's going on day by day and week by week. We started today by singing, break those walls down within us. And that we need to keep on praying that. Spirit of God, come down and keep on breaking over and over again those walls that I put up. Break the part of me that is not of Jesus Christ. That I may go and continue to be A great witness for him, not because I'm perfect, but because people see the change that's happening within me as I am gradually molded like Jesus. We are the image. Just as Christ is the image of the invisible God, so we are his witnesses today. And this church is a witness to what God is. We need as brothers and sisters just as we do as individuals, to come together and be the church God wants us to be. We need to show what it means to to care and share and bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. We need to demonstrate what it means when we have differences to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. We need to demonstrate what it means to pull together and work together so that the things of God are accomplished in our community through us and in us. We are here to do what God wants us to do because he is the head. We are the body. And it's Christ that they need to see. Just as on your passport photo, just as when they look at you and me, I don't want them to see me, I want them to see Christ within me, shining out, and Christ in you, shining out for all to see. The second thing is, When we think about Christ being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, he is the head. Is that when you think about our heads, our heads is where everything is derived from. In my head, I have a brain sometimes, but it's there. It's the authority, it's the nerve center. You could cut my arm off and I'd still be alive. I wouldn't like it much, but I'd still be alive. But if you sever my head from my body, I'm in deep trouble, right? I'm not going to be able to carry on existing. Why? Because everything comes from up here, doesn't it? My brain tells me what to do. My brain tells me, you know, when I need to pick this Bible up, my brain sends messages down to my hands and everything. I don't understand how it works, but then I pick it up. And hey, presto, my arms and my hands and everything, my muscles do what my brain tells it to do. So I need my head, the control center of my body. Also, my face. My face is where most of the the things that I sense come in. I've got my ears that can hear. I've got my mouth that can speak. I've got my nose that can smell. 
I've got my eyes that can see. But the only thing that doesn't come out of there is our touch, isn't it? The rest of all the things that we do come in through my head. Christ is the head, it says. And so Christ is the channel by which all these things happen. And not only is it coming into me, but going out of me as well. It's a two-way thing. My brain tells me what I need to say right now, and it comes out of my mouth. And so Christ is kind of like the filter, if you like, of what's coming in and going out when Christ becomes our head. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we are doing? What are the things that are coming in? Do we filter them through Christ being the head? Or do we say, I'm, gonna, I'm deciding to watch this film, this movie, even though I know it's not really that great for me, and it's going to fill my mind with images that perhaps are not that helpful for me, but I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Or do we allow Christ to be the head of us to say, Lord, filter out the things that you don't want to come into me. And filter out the things within me that are already there that shouldn't be there that you don't want to come out of me as well. Be that filter, if you like. It's like when you're brewing up coffee, isn't it? You put all the stuff in and then what do you do? You pour the water in the top and it heats it all up. And what happens? It filters through. Christ is that filter in you and me if we let him be that. And he should be the one that says, David, don't do that. That's not good for you. You know, because what we take in, we remember, don't we? How many times, how many of you ever watched like a horror movie or something like that? Yeah? Kill Bill. That's not a horror movie, right? I can still see some of the images of Kill Bill. Right? Some of the violence in it. It's still there. Like I watched it years ago. Just thought it would be kind of funny. It was this kind of fun in some strange kind of way. But, you know, like, when you watch things, they sometimes they stick. In fact, everything goes in. It's there somewhere. But I don't like seeing those images. Now, some things you see in life, you can't help it. But they're not good images. But they all go in and they stay there. But we need to be careful about what we let into us. And what we then is inside of us that can come out of us. And we ask God, take those, take those away from us. They're not good. You know, I hear so often from people, oh, I'm strong enough. I don't need to worry about that. I, I'm, I'm, it's not going to affect me. It does affect you because years later you'll still remember. Years later I can still see some of those images. It's in there somewhere rattling about. And so Christ being the head should be our filter of what goes in, what comes out. He should be the one that's guiding us if we allow him to do that. I surrender, I surrender all, we sang. Are we surrendering ourselves like that to Christ? Saying, Lord, guide me about what you want me to see, what you want me to experience Guide me in what I should be doing and in what I shouldn't be doing. Guide me so that the things of you are the things that are filling my life, not some of these other things around me. Christ is the head, he says. But then it carries on. Look in verse uh, 16. 
He says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, whether visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is the head, which means he has power over absolutely everything. Everything belongs to God. Everything. There is not one square inch of land that doesn't belong to him. There is nothing that has been created that has been made that does not belong to God. It says he created all things. Everything was created by him and for him. I was doing jumblies the other day on Friday. That's the uh, singing uh, thing we have with the, the little ones Friday mornings. And there I sang a song, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Do you know that one? There is nothing that he cannot do. And then the verse goes like this. It says, the mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. And that reminds us of this truth, that everything belongs to God. Now think about that in your life. Because that plays itself out in your life. How many times do we say in our lives things that are mine? This is mine. This is my car. This is my house. This is my bank account. This is my wife. Is it? You haven't moved. That's good. Oh, I was pointing at the right person. Is it my wife? Or really, is this the person that God has given me the privilege to share my life with? You see the difference? You see, the problem is, if I start saying this is mine, what happens? Well, I own it. I can do what I like with it. It's my possession. And we start having that attitude deep within us. This is my church, which means you have to do what I want you to do, because this is mine. I'm the pastor. This is my church. I rule this place. I rule our marriage because this is my wife. These are my children, so I, they do what I, they're told. Do you see what happens? In our language, we start speaking out that kind of ownership. And what happens is it starts affecting how we behave with things. You know? You can only do things in the way that I want you to do them because that belongs to me. This is not my wife. This is the person God gave to share my life with. This is not my church. This is God's church because everything belongs to him. My children are not my children. They are God's gift to us as a couple to nurture and rear for his glory. You see the difference? When we start saying, my, 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 what are we doing? We're saying, actually, God, they're not yours, they're mine. Uh Uh-uh. Where do we get that from? Everything the Bible says belongs to him. I can't, am I going to take anything with me when I die? No. I came into the world with nothing. I will leave the world with nothing. Everything that I have around me, God entrusts into our hands to use for his glory. Nothing is mine. 
And when we get that in our mentality, when we get that in our lives, it transforms the way we see things and the way we deal with things. Because it's then not my responsibilities as such, is it? How I use things is up for God to tell me how I need to do it. How I behave is for God to tell me. They're not mine. So I can't treat them as I want to. They are a gift from God. I've told you before, when I used to work in historic buildings, one of my jobs was looking after, uh, in the country, to look after uh, historical kind of artifacts in buildings. You know, like when you go into National Trust houses and that, and they have all these dinner plates and everything that some ancient queen had used or whatever, right? And they needed conservation, and my job was to go around and, and hand out pots of money. I was really popular. It was a really great job to have. But one of the things was I was one of those guys that was allowed to cross over the ropes. You know, you're always in National Trust houses. You go there, and you, you're sort of shuffling along the wall like this because the rope's in front of you, and all the things that you're not allowed to touch are, are over the other side. Well, I was able to go with the National Trust people and go, that felt really good. You felt power there, real power. You could go up there. And then they would pass me these ancient plates and things and say, what do you think about this? And they had cracks all over them that needed work. And I'm, I'm sweating. I'm there going, all I could go through my head was, I hope I'm not going to drop this. If I drop this, th- this is just one, one in a life. That, there's no other one like this. You know, Queen Victoria never ate off a different dinner plate when she came to this house. This was hers. And I'm gonna, I've got it in my hands, and it's fragile, and it's got cracks all over it, and they've given it to me. And I was never more relieved when I could have a quick look at it and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and say, try and say something intelligent, and then pass it back. And I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Then it's their responsibility. If they drop it, nothing to do with me. But it's like that with God. God has given to us, entrusted to us things to be used for his glory. But they're not my things. I can't do with them whatever I want. They've been entrusted to me. And I need to get that in my mind, in my heart. And it's true for the things that we do as well as the things that we have. It's true for relationships too. It's true for every aspect of our lives. It says here, everything, everything has been created by him and for him. Thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things were created by him and for him. And it goes down. The fullness dwells in him. Everything. So verse 18 so that in everything he might have supremacy. Is that true in your life? Have you given God all the things that you possess and recognize that they're not yours, they're his, entrusted to you to be used for his glory? What about your future? Have you given that to him and said, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. Take me and use me as and when you choose. What about your relationships? Are you stressing over relationships? Or are you saying, Lord, they're yours. Let me give them to you and come and use me in each of those relationships as and when you choose, as and how you choose. Flow through me. Make me a channel of your peace in those relationships. What about your positions or your work 
Lord, it's not my work, it's your work that you've given to me right now to fulfill the purposes that you have for me. Yes, one, to pay the bills, but secondly, to be an instrument of you, a channel of your spirit in that place where you've given me. So take me and use me where you have placed me. What about your finances? Lord, these are not my money to use how I want to use it. This is your money to, that you have blessed with me, that you want to flow through me. Take my finances and use them as and where you choose. What about every aspect of your life? We need to do that. I surrender all. That means I take everything and I say, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. We should strike mine out of our, out of our vocabulary. Because we get so possessive about things. Particularly when we see someone else misusing what we think is ours. Don't we? We used to, when we had a house in Canada, when we were there, we used to have like 30 young people come round. They weren't church people, young people, and they would be jumping all over the place. And we were looking at our house going, oh. And then we had to sit down and say, you know what? This is God's house to use for his glory. If this is a vehicle by which some of these young people come to know who Jesus Christ is, then it's worth it. It's not our stuff. I remember some of our stuff went missing. And we knew kind of roughly probably where it had gone. Some personal things, but we had to say, you know what, Lord? If this gives us an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ, then is it really, you know, how important, how really important are the things that we have? Christ is the head. You know, one of the ways I think you can tell the impact of grace in people's life is by this. When you hear people talking, my, 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 then for me, I know, if I catch myself saying, my, 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 I know that Christ is not in his place where he should be in my life. When I came into ministry, I kind of vowed to myself that I would never say my church. And every time I catch myself saying, I correct myself, because this is not, I don't want to start saying it, because if I say it, I'll start believing it. If I start believing it, then my attitude starts changing. So I never say, I said, this is God's church where I serve. People say, oh, how's it going at your church? I go, it's not my church. This is just the place where God has asked me to serve him right now. I'm never going to start calling it my church. It's not got my name on the door. It's got his name on the door, Trinity. It's not David's church. These are not my chairs. You know, this is not my piano or my organ. I might buy things for the church, but then I give them to the church and they're not mine. They're for the church to use as they see fit. And if they want to sell them, let them sell them. If I've given them. Because we have to have that kind of looseness about ourselves and a tightness with the ways of God. It's what he wants to do in us and through us that's important. And when we place and when we recognize Christ is the head, then we need to take my out of our vocabulary and put Christ's in. Trust, trust in God. 
Do you trust yourself? Do you, do you take that possessiveness or do you just trust it all to the Lord Jesus Christ? And lastly, in verse 17, it says, he holds everything together. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Means that everything was created by him and for him. Everything makes sense when Christ is in the right place, when he is in the head. Any of you ever done any kind of jobs around the house where you haven't had the right tools for the job? Do you do that? Some of our cabinets came a little bit loose a little while ago. And, and being the lazy sort, I couldn't be bothered to go and get a screwdriver. So what do you do? Uh, you, yeah, you get, you get one of the kitchen knives out or something, don't you? You go, oh, this will do. Because you can't be bothered to go outside, go to the toolbox, get the proper tool for the job. So you come in. And then what happens? You bend the end of the knife, don't you? And then you go, oh, no, the knife's bent. So then what do you have to Then you have to go and get the toolbox and get the pliers out to try and straighten off the end of the, you know. And, and the job is 20 times bigger than when you first started. Why? Because there are certain tools for certain jobs. Didn't have a hammer. So what do you do? Well, the top of the screwdriver will do, you know. So you start whacking it and it goes everywhere and then you cut your hand on it because you haven't got, you're not using the right tools for the right job. Well, it's similar to that about Christ. When Christ becomes the head, everything else falls into place. Because that's where he needs to be. He's like in the right place then in your life and in the life of his church. And when he's there, everything else, and we recognize that he's there, everything else will start falling into the right place. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that, doesn't it? We all have been given different gifts and abilities but Christ is the head. And when we recognize that the head, as I said before, when the brain is telling the different parts of the body what to do, when we're all going towards the head, towards Christ, all following him, then our harmony with one another, our unity with one another, our gifts and abilities will be in the right place to be used in the way he wants us to use them. And they will all dovetail in together and work together for his glory. We need to recognize that he holds everything together. And so we need to say in our lives and the life of his church, Christ, what is it you want me to do? What is it? Where, I'm going to place you as the head. You are in control. You are sitting on the throne of my life and on the life of this church. What is it you're asking me to do? So that you can use the gifts and abilities that you've given me in the way you want me to be used that you want them to be used for your glory, not for myself. Otherwise, what happens is we organize everybody else around us because we elevate ourselves up to the head, don't we? And we say, okay, everybody else needs to get into to shape around me so that everything will go according to what I want to happen. And then we have conflict. So as a church, we're constantly saying, Lord, what is it you're asking us to do? Show us and we will follow. That is it. Show us, we will follow. Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? Show me and I will follow you. It's as simple as that because then everything else falls into place. My relationships get sorted. My, the, 
I find fulfillment in what I'm doing because I'm in the place where God wants me to be. And I find the blessing of God flowing in me and through me because I'm doing what he is asking me to do. And I'm working with him, not against him. You know, the Bible is really clear. It's clear about Christ being in control. It says there are no alternatives for a believer. If you become a believer of Jesus Christ, then you are saying that Christ is my head. Christ is in control. There is no one else. There is no middle ground. There is no me coming alongside Jesus Christ and saying, how about we do this together, Lord Jesus? He says, no, 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 no. I am the head, you are not. Take it or leave it. And in so many ways, we try to kind of nestle up to him and say, well, can I share your seat a little bit? Can I sit on the edge? Can I do this with you? And Christ says, no. He is the head. He's the head of the church. He's the head of your life. He needs to be number one in everything that you are doing. He needs to be there so that you are focused on him, on pleasing him, on doing what he asks you to do for his glory and for his alone. And then everything else, as I said, falls into place. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks kind of like an iceberg. You know, in an iceberg, they say two-thirds are under the water. When you have Christ as the head, That's the kind of two-thirds that's under the water. People won't necessarily see Christ being the head of your life, but they'll see it in the one-third that's above. They'll see it in what you do and in how you behave. I was reminded at the early service today, just came and worshipped, and the reading was from John's Gospel, chapter 2, where Jesus changes water into wine. And I think this is a brilliant example of what it means to have Christ as the head. Do you remember at the wedding in Canaan? They're there. They run out of wine. And running out of wine is a big deal, okay? It's, it, it could have been, if, if you run you have to give wine. You have to uh, supply the food and the drink for everybody that comes. It was a legal matter. They could actually get taken to court by the people that turned up. Can you imagine that at a wedding? You go to a wedding, they run out of wine, then you can sue the family for not feeding you and not giving you appropriate to drink, okay? That was the legal system in, in Israel at the time. And there they are, and they run out of wine. And what does Mary do? She gets to hear about it. Jesus' mother, what does she do? Do you remember? She says, Jesus, sort it. And then what does she do? Exactly. She says, Jesus, we've run out of wine. And he says, oh, don't bother me. I'm at the party. Don't bother me. It's not my time yet. And Mary says to the servants, do what he says. Then what does she do? Trust. She turns around and goes back to the party. She goes, problem solved. I'm going back to the party because I know that Christ will sort it. Do you see here, Mary? You see, you begin to see the two-thirds under the surface. You see how much trust she had in her son, Jesus. You see how much she recognized who Jesus was and his abilities in life. And you see in this simple way, the one-third that happens above the surface 
is a result of her trust underneath. She knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He's the head. And so she said, Jesus, we've got a problem. I can't fix it. No Lidl's here that you can go down and buy your extra wine from. Two for one offer. Jesus is here though. He can sort it. Give it to him. And then she disappears off. And that's what it is to have Christ as the head. When you reach an issue in your life, you just say, Lord, I don't think I can't do this. I shouldn't be doing this. You're my head. What do you want me to do? Let me give it to you. Let me trust you. If you want me to do something, show me, I'll go do it. If you're going to handle it some other way, I trust you to handle it. I'm giving it to you. Do you see the great freedom that there is when Christ is in that role? Mary, she didn't have to stress about it. She didn't have to worry about it. She just said, Jesus, sort it. I trust you. I trust that whatever you're going to come up with will be the right thing. I'm back at the party. That's how it should be in your life and mine. Christ is the head. So I want you to think about your life today. What does it look like? Take an honest look. Where are the parts of your life where you have grabbed hold of them? Parts that you fear, parts that you're stressed about, parts that you worry about, parts that you haven't given to him and said, Lord, you're my head. I'm giving it to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, he said. Just lay your burden down. Give it to me. Trust him to fulfill everything that he has. Let him do his role. You do yours. Responding to what the head is saying. And as we do that in our own lives and do that in the life of his church, as we say, your will, not mine, be done in all things. Then we see the power of God at work. Then we see revival happening. Then we see an outpouring of God's spirit in us and through us, transforming lives, transforming communities. Because then we're in the place where he needs us to be so that he can work through us, so that we can be those people that help to bring in the harvest. I want to see this community transformed for Jesus Christ. I want to see all these things, not for my glory, not for my honor, not for anything to do, but because Christ wants to see that. That's why he came and died. And he wants to use you and me. He wants to flow through you and me if we place him at the head and allow him to transform us so that he can transform the community around us for his glory and for his alone. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the freedom that we have that you are our head. We do not have to do it on our own. It's not like we come to you and then you push us off and you say, now go, go and do it all on your own. But you said, I'm gonna give you my spirit. I'm going to allow you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to flow through you. I'm going to put my power in you. I'm going to put everything that you need is at your disposal. Not to do in your strength because I'm giving you Christ as the head. 
who will direct you, who will impact your thinking, impact what you do, who will tell you where to move as a body together. So Lord, we ask that you would be that head of each one of us, where we have taken areas of our lives and said, this is mine. We release it to you today. Where we have stresses, where we have parts of our lives that that we are burdened with, Lord, we release them to you. Where we have fears, Lord, we release them to you. You are the head. We are your instruments in your hands. We are your ambassadors. We are the ones, your witnesses, that will go and do your bidding. You are the commander. Lord, we are the soldiers. But we go not in our strength, but in the strength that you give us through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, where we find areas that are hard to release to you, be gracious to us. We want to. Lord, we want to. But sometimes we give them and we take them back. Sometimes they don't go the way we think they're going to go and our trust starts to falter. Lord, help us. Encourage us. And as a community of believers, help us to get together, to share and bear and care for one another. Because you say that's the way we fulfill the law of Christ, the law to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Lord, we ask and we make a statement today that you are the head of this, your church at Trinity. Take us and use us. Send us out into the community around to bring in the harvest. But may we do everything in this place with you being in control. We are responding to your word, to your direction. For we lay our lives before you. We surrender all. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for your role that you won on the cross. That you sit at the right hand of the Father, that you are the head of the church. You are the head of our lives. Take control. Take my life and let it be consecrated, given, honoring to you. Take everything that we are. Use it for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.